Hey, y'all, this is Doc Washburn. Before we start today's episode, a lot of people have been asking what happened to me and if I'm all right because we haven't been uploading episodes very often lately. So I need to address this. First of all, I appreciate your concern. Thankfully, nothing happened to me. I'm still here. So here's what's going on. After much prayer and consultation, we decided we needed to branch out and start doing interviews with newsmakers on video, while also continuing to upload the audio from the videos for people who want to listen while driving. Now, we were warned that the transition from doing audio-only podcasts to doing video interviews would make the process much more time-consuming unless I had some interns helping me. But we had no idea how time-consuming. As of yet, I don't have any interns. So the video interview I'm uploading the audio from right now that you're about to hear was actually recorded over a week ago. We hope to be able to get some interns to help us soon to shorten the process. Happily, we just found out less than 24 hours ago that there are actually universities in our area that require students who are trying to get journalism and or radio TV degrees to fulfill internship programs. So we hope to take advantage of that soon. In the meantime, we apologize for the delay and infrequency of getting episodes out, and we hope to get back on a more consistent schedule soon. Now, here's the audio from the most recent video interview we uploaded to YouTube, and we hope to have it on the Rumble platform by the time you hear this. Thanks for your patronage. Hi, welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. Our guest today is Frank Gaffney. Mr. Gaffney is the founder and executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy, a nonpartisan organization that champions peace through strength. He's the vice chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China, and the host of Securing America, a daily TV show on Real America's Voice. He's also heard nationally on the American Family Radio Network. Mr. Gaffney was President Reagan's Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy. His new book is entitled The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Mr. Gaffney, thank you for coming on the Doc Washburn Show. How are you today? It's a privilege to be with you, and uh, I'm bearing up under the circumstances, I think is the best I can say. There you go. Triumphing in the midst of adversity. That's our motif. Amen. On the Doc Washburn Show a lot. Okay, let's just start off with this. China really is a threat to our freedom, aren't they? Well, they certainly mean to be. uh, And it's not just an intent. It's something they've been doing. And this is really the subject of our book, The Indictment, uh, for decades now. In fact, they call it unrestricted warfare. Yeah. And they've been waging it with, I think, devastating effect. And that's something we've really tried to document and make accessible to people based on some 70 webinars that our Committee on the Present Danger of China has conducted over the past year. It's it's really staggering when you see it laid out and um, and synthesized, as we've done in the book. I remember as a child when it was announced that the United Nations was kicking Taiwan out and communist China was coming in and even the Nixon administration was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and, and roll with this. I remember thinking, and again, I was not very old, but as a child hearing about how horrible communism is, with the Soviet Union and Cuba and China and thinking at the time, this has got to be bad. Was that kind of where these things, this whole thing started rolling? Well, I think Richard Nixon's efforts to uh, romance the Chinese communists uh, is pretty much where it starts. Uh, You could theoretically go back a little bit earlier to um, Alger Hiss and other communists in the uh, Roosevelt and then Truman administrations who helped the Chinese communists come to power. Uh, but, you know, somewhere in that arc of history, um, we got things monstrously wrong yeah. with accelerating impact over the past, you know, couple of decades as we've made them rich. We've encouraged them to become more ambitious 
and aggressive and actually enabled them to do so as well. Well, I think Nixon thought, uh, and, and a lot of capitalist folks, and, and I'm certainly one, have thought that if we can open up free markets in China, inexorably, they will gradually become more like us. And that that's a theory that a lot of people have held to for centuries. Yeah. But instead, it seems to have gone the other way, right? No, it's actually, I think, been observed that uh, we've become more like them. Yeah. Of late. Uh, but, you know, Nixon is an interesting character. Uh, I, I think that his own idea was not so much to go down this road of making them rich. I think his idea was basically just to see if he could have uh, a relationship with them that might help um, effect a counterweight on our behalf against their fellow communists in the Soviet Union. I think it was Henry Kissinger, his uh, national security advisor and then secretary of state, who really became very enamored of this idea that um, that we could uh, make money here, uh, including himself personally, frankly, but uh, in the process, um, lift them up and make them, uh, well, if not more like us necessarily, at least not a threat to us. And um, something that would, uh, you know, ultimately translate into, uh, well, responsible member of the international community, as they like to say in the State Department. Uh, it, it was always a benighted idea, I think, and has just become more and more foolish with the passage of time to the point where it's recklessly dangerously so. And at this point, isn't it remarkable? that all these years later, Taiwan has still not been invaded and and taken over. Well, it is remarkable, but uh, that may be coming to an end here very soon, because I think that uh, the Chinese have taken the measure of Manuel. In fact, I believe, as my colleague Sam Faddis, a member of our Committee on the Present Danger of China, who was a career undercover operative for the Central Intelligence Agency and in the course of his work uh, recruited and then ran agents for our country. And he says in the lexicon of the trade, Joe Biden is what's called a controlled asset of the Chinese Communist Party. And when you have that going on, I think that uh, it is emboldening the Chinese communists to believe that they can finally do what they've always wanted to do with Taiwan, which is to acquire it through one means or another and uh, end this threat off their coast, you know, 100 miles of a functioning democratic China and, uh, you know, bring to heal all of the people of Taiwan uh, and most especially crush those who had the temerity to say that they were an alternative to the Chinese communists. We're speaking with Frank Gaffney, author of The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China and the World. Since you brought up uh, Joe Biden, you also have ESPN2. You're reading my mind. This comes to my next prepared question. How compromised are not only Joe Biden, but also his administration? Well, I think compromised is, you know, too benign a word. Okay. Uh, I mean, it sort of makes it sound as though it's just a mistake. I, I think that Joe Biden is captured by the Chinese Communist Party, as is much of his administration. Uh, and frankly, a lot of others in political life in our country today, as well as, you know, those masters of the universe on Wall Street and other business leaders and indeed people in the media, people in academia, people in Hollywood, uh, people in professional sports. I mean, it goes on and on. They've made a practice of what they call the Chinese communist elite capture and Biden just happens to be kind of at the pinnacle of uh, that food pyramid, if you will. But he's just one example of it, although a particularly dangerous one because of the power that he has to 
help the Chinese effect their objective of taking down the United States so as to clear the way for them to become the dominant power in the world, which is what they're set on doing. But, you know, it's not just the Biden administration, obviously, as you just alluded to, brings me brings me to my next question. Major global entities like the World Health Organization, the World Economic Fund, and even the Muslim Brotherhood also seem to be under China's spell. What 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 is the danger there? Well, it's a hugely important point. I, I think that the Chinese Communist Party uh, is just one of several totalitarian enterprises that have the same basic idea. They want to run everything. Now, their vision as communist Chinese is different, to be sure, than what the end state sought by the Islamists is, uh, or for that matter, the World Economic Forum globalists. Um, they'll, they'll sort out their differences. My money's on the Chinese communists, to be honest with you, but once we're gone. But in the meantime, they're making common cause to try to take us out. And that's the thing that's so troubling here is that um, this has been going on for a very long time. With respect to the Chinese specifically, um, I think it's become more and more obvious uh, in recent decades that the what I call Sharia supremacists, the Islamists, um, are dead set on ruling the world according to Sharia, their Islamic code, and the globalists. The World Economic Forum types are, you know, set on trying to end, you know, um, sovereign nations like ours and the powers or the the rights, the freedoms that are invested in individuals in favor of a, a system run by elites. But they have their differences. But the thing that is very ominous indeed is that they are partnered up at the moment and trying to make sure that their mutual enemy, namely us, is dispatched. You know, I thought it was fascinating when Biden decided to get us out of Afghanistan in time for the anniversary of the September 11th attacks on our country and how awful it was, not only for uh, Afghans who had helped us, but for a number of Americans who were having a difficult time getting out. But it wasn't too long after the the government fell and the Taliban took over that, and it wasn't widely reported, but it was in the news. The Taliban basically said, uh, look, we're not going to mess with China. Okay. They're, they're, they're just fine where they are. That's, that's okay. Not a problem. And, you know, as much as you're saying, and I believe it's true that the jihadists, the people who believe in Sharia want to control the whole world. In the meantime, they're like, yeah, China, that's a bit more than we can, uh, uh, we're not going to bite off that. We can't, you know, we're just going to leave that alone. And what, I mean, they show no respect whatsoever to the Western world. And yet China, um, you guys will, will, will play nice. What, what does that tell us? Well, it tells you everything you need to know about uh, the power distribution in the world at the moment. Uh, their calculation is that they can, with impunity, attack us, uh, seek to subvert us, even take us out. Um, but not so much the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and, and again, there are upsides to collaborating with the Chinese for the moment. But, you know, the thing that's so striking about this, really, if you think about it, is at the very moment that, well, uh, these Sharia supremacists, for want of a better word, um, whether they're in, um, you know, Pakistan or whether they're in Saudi Arabia or whether they're in, as you say, Afghanistan, are all perfectly prepared to turn a blind eye to what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to genocidally oppress their co-religionists among the Uyghurs in yeah, I should Western have China. It's it was staggering. Somebody was asking some spokesperson for the uh, 
well, I can say spokesman. There are no spokeswomen for the Taliban. Yeah, what about uh, China and the Uyghurs? And the Taliban is like, well, no, no, that, 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 you know, we, that's their internal thing. We can't, oh, yeah. yeah. Not a problem, in short. Not yeah, but but it's it's in the expectation that the Chinese will reward them, will make them stronger, uh, and will help take out their shared enemy, namely us. So it, it's it's deeply cynical, um, and it's not likely to endure. Uh, should we be actually uh, sent down tubes? But the main point I really want to convey is our own elites here in the United States have shown an inclination that's very similar, that they're prepared to betray their country. And I use that term advisedly in advancing the agenda and the capabilities and the power and ultimately, you know, the victory of our mortal enemy, the Chinese communist party, um, in exchange for, you know, some lucre or some uh, sexual favors or whatever else scratches their itch. But it is unbelievably destructive in our country. And the Chinese have um, really perfected this art form. It, it goes back long before the Chinese communists turned up. This is a technique of, you know, imperial China millennia is old but the truth of the matter is it's being wielded with devastating effect here inside the united states in every one of those sectors um, not just the biden administration or even our political system more broadly you know I'm, i'm glad you brought that up because a lot of us grew up thinking that when mao zedong and the communists took over china in the late 40s it was such a radical departure from what had gone on before. And Chiang Kai-shek, the last, um, you know, leader of China was, uh, you know, wound up on Taiwan. And, and that's, you know, that's where you got freedom and everything. But one of the things that your book talks about, and you, you just alluded to, is that there are certain ways of operating um, militarily and, and in a societal fashion uh, when dealing with one's enemies that are endemic to the Chinese way of looking at things that goes back centuries, way before Mao, way before Lenin, way before Marx and Engels. And perhaps you could uh, elucidate on that a little bit for our viewers today. Well, there are traditions. Um, some of them were most brilliantly articulated by the famous Chinese strategist of several millennia ago, Sun Tzu. Yeah. Um, and, and they're operating today. I think there's no question about it. Um, the art of war is his most famous track. And he talks about the acme of, uh, you know, warfare is to win without fighting. And by subverting the elites of your enemy, by using unrestricted warfare techniques, and we go through a number of them in detail in the book, um, to uh, weaken you know, your enemy's economy by uh, essentially hollowing it out. You know, uh, destroying its industrial base, uh, getting it to migrate those industrial skills and capabilities to China so that China can become, you know, the supply chain dominant power that would uh, have not only obviously commercial uh, advantages, but also military as well. Uh, these are the sorts of techniques, uh, political subversion, uh, destroying our energy security posture, uh, using biological warfare against us uh, that that really are sort of uh, lineal descendants from Sun Tzu's strategy. Um, but, you know, there's also an accompanying uh practice that we've enabled, uh, not least thanks to, you know, the transfer of 
by some estimates, three to six trillion dollars from our capital markets to communist China uh, to build up their military. So they have the option to use military power decisively. And Sun Tzu says, you know, that's okay too. If you're, if you're in a position to do it and do it decisively. So uh, this is, this is the kind of um, national heritage that we're up against. And it, and it stems really from a fundamental premise that uh, China going back to the days of the emperors is the middle kingdom. It is the center of the universe. It is its destiny to rule the entire world. And the Chinese communists are simply trying to bring their own particular ideology and uh, techniques to bear for that purpose. We'll be right back with our guest, Frank Gaffney, in just a moment here on the Doc Washburn Show. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase a vehicle online if you have any questions. One of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, Order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental U.S., RedRiverAuto.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks, every spring, all my life, and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and the migraines went away for good. Whatever malady you're suffering from, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped so many people I know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Mike Lindell says because of your amazing support for MyPillow 2.0, he's expanded MyPillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. So he's clearing out his percale bed sheets by giving them to you at closeout prices. King size percale bed sheets, only $39 a set. Queen size, only $35 a set. Full size, $29. And twin size, just $25. Use promo code DWS to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime offer. Right now, Mike's biggest My Slippers closeout sale ever is on. Get Mike's all-season My Slippers and Sandals at clearance prices. Mike's all-season Moccasin Slippers are just $25. Mike's My Slippers Sandals are just $19.50. They're both made with Mike's patented impact gel that absorbs and relieves pressure so you can comfortably wear them all day long. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. Remember, DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. And now we continue our interview with Frank Gaffney. You know, you, you mentioned the biological warfare idea. And a little bit earlier, you mentioned how so much of the media 
seems to be in the thrall of the communist Chinese party. Um, and this inexorably leads us to talk about COVID-19, or as some of us call it, the China virus or the Wu flu or whatever. What do Americans need to know that the media has been hiding from us for several years about China and about COVID-19? Well, the most important uh, thing they need to know is that the Chinese Communist Party has been operating illegally for decades a biological warfare program that is illegal. They, they, they signed a treaty saying they would not have such a capability, and yet they do. Interestingly enough, one of the most chilling of the insights we got in the book is uh, from a speech that was delivered about 20 years ago by the then defense minister of China, a general by the name of Chi Hao Chen. And he says that back in the early 1990s, the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party at the time, a fellow by the name of Deng Xiaoping, the fellow who brought us the Tiananmen Square Massacre, by the way, yeah. said that the mission of that illegal biological warfare program of China would be to, quote, depopulate the United States so that it can be colonized by China, unquote. Wow. So the context in which the recent seeming confirmation of what's been perfectly obvious all along, but we were told we couldn't think about or say or uh, let alone believe, namely that the Wuhan virus, the China flu, whatever you want to call it, the SARS-CoV-2, as it's formally designated virus, was designed in a biological warfare laboratory in Wuhan, China, called the Wuhan Institute of Virology, with the help of American technology and financing, and was unleashed on us. However, it got out of the laboratory, and that's still a matter of some debate. It was deliberately sent here by the Chinese Communist Party once it was out for the purpose of inflicting mass destruction, cost of some million point one uh, in losses so far. But that's just one measure of the damage done, including, you know, the overthrow of our democratically elected government. And they've done it with practically no cost to them other than, you know, some of the same damage that they uh, they inflicted on us and others around the world, of course. Now, this brings up an interesting point. I never thought that I would come to the point in which I would say, I agree with Barack Obama on fill in the blank, because everything he and his wife tried to do to this country in the eight years he was president, I think, um, helped to to destroy our way of life. And yet a few months ago, I found out in 2014, several hundred esteemed scientists wrote a letter to president Obama saying, look, this, uh, it's gain of function research. This is really dangerous. And you know, whatever benefits certainly don't outweigh the dangers and we are asking you to please put a stop to it. And so President Obama's like, well, this does look dangerous. And orders the NIH, uh, Francis Collins in charge, and the NIAID, Dr. Anthony Fauci in charge. Hey, we gotta we gotta put a hold on that. And then apparently before too long, they go behind Barack Obama's back and they're like, Okay, we got to find a different way to do this. Let's see. We'll go through a third party, Eco Health Alliance. Um, found out that years earlier, uh, Vice President Dick Cheney had set up Fauci to be in control of, and singularly in control of doling out federal research grant money to scientists, et cetera, et cetera. So I was just flabbergasted to go, wait a minute, Obama got something right? And then, 
Fauci and Collins go behind his back to keep this stuff going on in in China, and now all the FOIA stuff coming out. Uh, recently, it looks like it's entirely possible that patient zero in Wuhan was one of the scientists being paid by Fauci. Um, you know, I've heard uh, politics make strange bedfellows, but I've just been flabbergasted by this, and your thoughts, as always, are welcome. Well, thank you. It's an important insight. I think that uh, it was on, if I remember my timeline right, uh, Donald Donald Trump's watch that Fauci and company did their end run rather than Obama's. But the point is the same. Um, soon, it's, soon after it's, it's dangerous yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think without his knowledge, uh, to be sure, yeah. without authority, it was yeah. still an end run. Yeah, but I think it was after Obama left office. But, but as I say, your point is is basically right. This is extremely dangerous stuff, and especially knowing that the Chinese Communist Party did have an illegal biological warfare program, an offensive warfare program. It was insane, suicidal, and malfeasant in the extreme to help that biological warfare program become much more effective. I was going to say virulent, but that's literally the case. By teaching them, transferring the technology, and ultimately even doing some financing of this gain-of-function activity, uh, from which, you know, Fauci uh, seemingly was profiting in some form or fashion, uh, is certainly advancing the uh, the scientific technologies and methods, but uh, at an unbelievable cost and, and betraying the national security in the process. You know, it, it reminds one of... Uh, when Bill Clinton was running for re-election, um, 96, and uh, the Chinese weren't able to get their missiles off the ground. They were just kind of, you know, falling apart. And um, I guess there was a, a fundraiser at some kind of Chinese temple in L.A., and next thing you know, Clinton is signing off on letting a company called Loral yep. give sensitive missile technology to China so they can become a more formidable foe. And again, uh, to quote the uh, the great philosopher, David Byrne, we're talking that same as it ever was, no one's ever held accountable. And this is one of the things that, that really frustrates us. And your, your book is talking about the possibility of holding people accountable. We've got to. Yeah. And again, it, go, it goes to the heart of this issue of elite capture. We have got to ensure that anyone who has been captured by the Chinese Communist Party who is currently in a position of trust or influence, let alone power, be removed from such a position uh, right quick, especially if we're at the cusp of a shooting war. It's just it, it beggars belief that we could possibly find ourselves in such a circumstance and have as our commander in chief of the United States military a guy working for the other side. That's insane. Can't can't be tolerated. So the cusp of a of a shooting war. Uh, I, I want to go back to um the very tail end of the Trump administration in which our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, publicly announced that he thought that Trump was unstable, didn't know what he would do between that date and a couple of weeks later when uh, Trump was going to leave office. So he had called his Chinese counterpart and said, look, don't worry. In case things get out of hand, I will call you and warn you if Trump decides to do anything foolish and nothing happens to this guy. I mean, you know. Um, well, if I could just interrupt you, Doc. Sure. It's worse than that. He said specifically that if Trump not only thought about doing something foolish, but actually ordered an attack to be launched against right. China, right. that he would call 
to warn that it was coming. Uh, and again, and you're right. Nothing has been done to this guy. Um, it, it's a scandal. Uh, I believe that is another example of betrayal of our country. Oh, yeah. And um, I think it pales by comparison to the idea that, you know, you have as the president of the United States, a controlled asset of the Chinese communists, but it's right up there when the top military guy in our country is uh, going behind the backs of the civilian authority who are supposed to have, you know, uh, oversight and, and decision-making responsibilities in our government over the military specifically. Um, this is unconscionable. And, and, and yet at, to this point, and it's really the impetus behind this book as much as anything, is to hold such people accountable right? and to make sure they're no longer in positions to dictate uh, our policies on behalf of the enemy. Yeah, I, I know it's kind of a whole other show, but I was flabbergasted recently to find out that on his last full day in office, President Trump gave General Milley uh, some kind of presidential accommodation. I'm like, no, wait, he... He was the guy who was stabbing you in the back. What? You know. Anyway. Um, personnel so, was not Donald Trump's long suit, I think is fair to say. Personnel. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, that's true. And and we could do a, a whole different. That is another show. <laughs> yeah, that's another show. So I'm thinking back to what you're talking about, Sun Tzu, the art of war, how it's much more preferable to win without having to fight, you know, the, the economy of scale, you know, you don't lose your soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. And yet you're alluding to the possibility of a shooting war with this nuclear power, uh, China, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think that the idea of unrestricted warfare going back to at least the late 1990s, and I'm pretty sure the early 1990s, uh, was a recognition that China was simply not militarily strong enough at that time yeah. to have any other option. It was determined to weaken us. It was determined ultimately to destroy us if they could. And the only vehicle they had for it at the time were non-military means. Yeah. Um, but... I think what, as I said earlier, they've been beavering away at ever since is building up the capacity to have the option for an old-fashioned kind of war, shooting war. The question is, why would they want to do that now? If if the acme of warfare is win without fighting, um, there are some things that may be operating that make this, I think, more likely than not and and potentially quite imminent. One is, there's never been a better moment to engage in military hostilities against the United States. It's it's seemingly relatively weak. It's certainly very poorly led. And in fact, in most of the key leadership positions, you have people working for the other team, the yeah. Chinese communists. Yeah. But here's the other consideration. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about China and its capabilities and its power and its ambitions and so on, we tend to lose sight or we risk losing sight of the fact that um, it has its own problems. And some of them are yawning problems. Uh, there's a real estate bubble that's burst. There's banking crisis. There's an unbelievably serious demographic disaster oh, yeah. as a result of that one child policy that resulted in the murder of between four and 500 million babies, mostly girls, yep. in the womb. And that's on top of the 100 million that they killed outright uh, over the years as well. But you put all that together, and I think that Xi Jinping has a concern about the growing restiveness, shall we say, of the population, hostility towards the Chinese Communist Party, especially. And you saw that in that so-called white white paper, uh, you know, uprising that really forced him very quickly to abandon his zero COVID policy in favor of ending the lockdowns because he was so concerned. 
One of the things that tyrants do under those circumstances, whether they're communists or others, is they seek some sort of external threat yeah. that they can get everybody to focus on so they're not so mad at their own government and they're worried about that one and they rally around the flag and they become more willing to make the sorts of sacrifices and accept the kind of repression that the you know government in question you know, specializes in. So I think that's going on here as well. The Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, clearly has set his sights on achieving something that Mao Zedong did not, to put himself in an historical higher plane than Mao himself. And that is to take Taiwan one way or the other. Yep. And this is the moment to do it for both external and internal reasons, I fear. Absolutely. We're speaking with Frank Gaffney, author of The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Um, we finally brought up the uh, the name Xi Jinping. He's General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, of course. What is his China dream? He aspires personally to be the man who restores China to its rightful place in the world as the center of the universe, the middle kingdom, as I said, and uh, he's determined to do that. Uh, I think he's not in perfect health. I'm not quite sure exactly what's wrong with him, but uh, he seems to be um, moving with uncharacteristic speed for a nation that is renowned for its patience. You know, Deng Xiaoping, that former general secretary I mentioned earlier, had a strategy called hide and bide hide from us their true intentions of destroying us, uh, which Kissinger chose to, you know, ignore and bide their time, build up their capabilities to do that uh, inexorably. Xi Jinping has essentially dispensed with both the hiding and the biding. He's a man on a mission, and I think that adds to this Real concern that what we've been subjected to to date uh, may not be the extent to which he's willing to go to achieve in his mortal life this, uh, you know, celebrity, uh, this historic figure role, uh, and to accomplish in the process uh, something that has eluded his predecessors for China. So... Your book identifies nine criminal charges, which you write can and must be brought and prosecuted, at least in the court of public opinion against the Chinese Communist Party and its American enablers. How do you propose doing that? And and for that matter, the court of public opinion, there's there's so many patriotic Americans who say, hey, um, you know, the court of public opinion is against a lot of bad things, but, but we don't see how we can reinstate the good in our society? That's a great question. Uh, I I don't know that I've got a perfect answer for you, but I will say that I think we have no choice but to try. Yeah. Given the stakes. And and my my answer to you, frankly, today would be different, is different than it would be three years ago. You know, there's an old adage that uh, conservatives are liberals who've been mugged by reality. Yep. And I think an awful lot of Americans were mugged by the reality of COVID, uh, China virus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they had a wake-up call, as they say, about the nature of the Chinese Communist Party. I don't think many of them fully understand what it's about. Uh, they, they may be familiar. It's kind of like that old story about, you know, a group of blind people trying to figure out what an elephant is. You know, one's holding the trunk, one's holding a leg, one's holding the belly, one's, you know, holding the tail, uh, tusks. I mean, what is this thing? We have to assemble, to the best of our ability, a comprehensive picture of what we're up against in the form of this Chinese Communist Party. And that's really the purpose of this book, The Indictment. We're simply seeing if we can help create an understanding of the true gravity of the danger we face and the possibility that if we don't act properly, things could get an awful lot worse for all of us in the spirit of uh, saying, 
you know, you may have a feeling for what's wrong here, but we want you to have a much more comprehensive understanding so you are empowered to do what the American people uniquely can do, which is to ensure that they, you know, I, I just a brief aside, as a young man, I had the experience of watching Ronald Reagan recognizing that in his time, the existential threat to freedom was the Soviet Communist Party. Sure. And he set about trying to do something about it. He enlisted the help of something called the Committee on the Present Danger to devise a strategy that wouldn't be appeasement. It wouldn't even be containment. It was going to be rollback. And he went to the American people for a mandate to adopt and implement and then execute that strategy. And he then, you know, when he got elected, he brought 30 or so members of the Committee on the Present Danger into his administration to help him do just that, and they did, and the rest, as they say, is history. I think we're at a similar moment. In fact, a much more dangerous moment. Uh, The enemy we face today makes the Soviets in their heyday pale by comparison. I was working for Reagan in the Pentagon at the height of the Cold War and uh, watched and helped in a small way him take down the Soviets using that strategy. It's absolutely imperative that we be doing nothing less than that today against this much more dangerous existential threat to freedom, the CCP. Absolutely. And we hope and we pray that uh, there will be a change in leadership, uh, you know, when the election day rolls around to November of 2024. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because clearly, you know, whoever the Democrats put in there, I I don't know if Biden's going to run again or not. He's announced he is, but he keeps on, you know, showing he's out of it. Uh, But whoever the Democrats would put in there would be just as captured by the Chinese Communist Party as, as Biden is. More coming up with our guest, Frank Gaffney, here on the Doc Washburn Show. You know, the great Ronald Reagan once said, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, It's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. They don't tend to depreciate over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. Andrew Sorcini with Beverly Hills Precious Metals has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Beverly Hills Precious Metals brings precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. Mike Flynn told us about them, and they are our gold buyer of choice. To find out more, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Make sure you ask about the general Mike Flynn silver coin and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Beverly Hills Precious Metals helps folks protect their finances, wealth, and investments. If you want to Drop your big liberal cell phone carrier. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier, is a perfect solution. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. And switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you shift your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Let me ask you something. Why continue shopping big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now you can get around this crazy inflation. 
by shopping factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates and deciding to buy only USA. Join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. These products include fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone, this beef is known as Never Ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. buyonlyusa at proton.me. And now, the rest of our interview with the great Frank Gaffney here on the Doc Washburn Show. Speaking of Biden, as we began our interview, news had come out earlier this morning. In the words of Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project, the Biden Justice Department reached a sweetheart deal with Hunter Biden. Hunter will get no jail time for being the bag man for Joe Biden's vast foreign corruption. The Biden Justice Department will continue to bury evidence the President of the United States is compromised. Now, that's a quote from Mike Davis. A lot of folks have been pointing out this morning before we started this interview that people not named Biden have gone to jail for a long time for the kinds of things there's clear evidence that Hunter did a lot of which he wasn't even charged with. Your thoughts? Well, I hadn't gotten this news until just now, uh, so I'm just giving you my Sorry. immediate, spontaneous Sorry. reaction. I, I, this is this is revolting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. This is absolutely revolting. Yeah. It, it confirms what an awful lot of Americans now believe, which is that there is no more equal justice under the law. Uh, that some uh, who have a certain political affiliation can have complete contempt for the rules and can betray the country with impunity. And no good can come of that. It, it is corrosive in the extreme for a constitutional republic rooted on the very principle of um, equal justice under the law, as it is emblazoned on the Supreme Court building, as you know. And I, I fear that uh, the repercussions of this will be very long-lasting. But but they're really of a piece with just about everything in the Biden administration. I'm fond of saying that I think whether they're foreign or domestic policies, every single one of them has had two things in common under this president. They're bad for America, and they benefit the Chinese Communist Party and, in some cases, other enemies of our country as well. And uh, Joe Biden's family, you know, saga, scandal, travesties uh, must be exposed, not whitewashed or covered up or excused. And uh, unless and until that is done, I fear there will be um, just vastly less confidence in our government. And uh, that way lies uh, perdition. As they say, you know, I wish that all Americans knew that when Joe Biden was vice president, his son Hunter accompanied him to communist China on Air Force Two and came back with an awful lot of money. I wish all Americans knew how much money went from the communist Chinese party into the Biden's bank accounts. Um, but this is something that the media doesn't want Americans. Oh, you alluded to earlier, not just uh, Biden and the Biden regime are captive to the communist Chinese party, but so many other entities in, in our society. I'll never forget when Mike Pompeo was a secretary of state after he was CIA director, uh, he was speaking to uh, a meeting of, governors of states in the U.S. And he brought up communist China. And he said, there's a, there's a list, the three categories. Those of you who are compromised by communist China, those of you who are not, and those of you who kind of 
maybe in the middle, not quite sure about. And he said, and I know each of you, which, which category you are in. Um, and I got to thinking about that at the time. I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our governor at the time, Aza Hutchinson, who now has this crazy idea he's going to run for the Republican nomination for president. Mm-hmm. But at the time, he was bragging about going to China a couple of times a year, brought in a bunch of Chinese uh, business concerns to the state of Arkansas. One of the things Pompeo mentioned is that these Confucius Institutes in American universities are uh, basically communist China getting like the camel getting its nose under the tent. And I'm looking, oh, we got one right here in the uh, Little Rock metropolitan area uh, at one of our uh, you know, colleges here. Yes. What, what, what do Americans need to know about how pervasive um, the communist China influence is? Even people who are aware that Biden might be a problem, but it's so much bigger than this. Well, let me frame this particular answer um, a little more broadly. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party not only has had on something like 117 college campuses, most of our most prestigious ones among them, these so-called Confucius Institutes, um, as it became a bit notorious a few years back as people began looking carefully at what they entailed, uh, they closed some of them. Uh, I believe that most, if not all of them, have been reopened under another name, but basically doing the same thing. Uh, but that's a small portion of what they're doing in the American Academy. Right. For example, as you know, there are some 300,000 Chinese nationals now studying in America on those campuses, among others. Um, Not all of them are necessarily, uh, you know, hostile to our country, but every single one of them has been approved to come here by the Chinese Communist Party. Every single one of them knows it is their duty to do what they are told by the party. And if they have any doubt about the subject, they're all now very attuned to the fact that there have been these overseas Chinese police service centers, as they're called, whereby the principal service that is rendered is apparently to bring any Chinese national into a room uh, with a television screen in it on which they can see their loved ones back in China being interrogated by the party or the police or somebody else. And the message is unmistakable. Uh, You will do what you're told or something bad will happen to this person you're related to. And that, that kind of thing, that kind of coercive uh, effect together with what they've got running around here in terms of uh, businessmen and researchers and scientists and, well, of course, just old-fashioned spies. And then there's the thousands of military-aged, unaccompanied young men that are coming across our borders, uh, you know, month upon month, seemingly wearing the same backpacks and canteens and moving in what appear to be groups. Uh, in other words, almost certainly People's Liberation Army elements oh, yeah. being insinuated into our country and with your tax dollars sent all over the country for God only knows what purposes. But the point is, the problem here at home is real and growing. And again, it's part of the story that we've got to become clear-eyed about because if the, uh, as the military used to say, the balloon goes up, and I'm not talking about the silly balloon, as Joe Biden called that spy balloon. I'm talking about the balloon going up in the sense of the war beginning, the combat, yeah. the conflict, violent conflict. Um, there's going to be a home front dimension to it for sure. And the Confucius Institutes and what they do is just going to be one small part of that story. A member of Congress brought up to uh, FBI Director Christopher Ray 
these Chinese police stations in the United States you alluded to. Uh, and he confessed he was very concerned about that. He's not very concerned about it, but you know, very concerned, yeah. very concerned about it. Yeah. One of the chapters in your book, and, and, and I know you, you have to run, I don't know where the time goes, but I, I wanted to get to this because I, you know, it's just so important. We haven't touched on it yet. Chapter seven, the Communist Chinese Party and its allies have ravaged America's energy security. You would think Republicans and Democrats in Congress would be concerned about this, but I never hear anything about it. Well, ravaging our energy security is actually something that the Democratic Party is all about as well. So sure. you're not hearing about it from them. Uh, the media, you're not hearing about it from them because they're more or less on board. Uh, and by the way, as with the Chinese communists, uh, you know, the money that is being put into the media and uh, and these politicians from, among others, those who are getting subsidies now to, you know, turn us into a country that is not only not energy dominant, as Donald Trump promised was going to be the case that he remained in office or even energy independent, which is something he did achieve during his time in the white house, but energy dependent upon China for all these green technologies. And by the way, it's not just the windmills. It's not just the solar panels. It's high voltage transformers that are now throughout our electric grid, some 400 of them at last count, a hundred more of them than when Joe Biden took office, by the way, because Donald Trump put a lid on those and and I think was working to get rid of them. But Joe Biden has added a hundred more. These are the sorts of vulnerabilities that in time of war will be decisive for our enemy. No question. It reminds me of the poem E.E. Cummings wrote many, many years ago about the fact that we were selling um, junk metal to the Japanese and they used it for for munitions. Yeah, to send it back the the bad way. Frank Gaffney, uh, the book is The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Um, I would recommend it to everybody watching this this video. It, it is so important. Uh, we thank you so much for standing up for uh, uh, freedom, for standing up for our, our way of life. May it be preserved. I'm sure you believe, obviously, and strengthen the things which remain. Uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the program today. And uh, is there anything else that you uh, want our viewers to know before we wind this up? Yeah, just one thought. I, I believe what we've been talking about for this hour, and I thank you so much for your time and your very you know, generous endorsement of the book. At the end of the day, this is a spiritual war. Amen. And I encourage every one of your audience to pray earnestly for God's grace, because with it, it'll come out okay. Without it, I'm pretty sure we're toast. And I hope that we're still deserving of that grace. And uh, I'm confident that prayer will help our cause with the Lord Almighty. And uh, we need his help big time now. Thank you for that last word. Thank you so much. And and I'll say, um, you know, his grace is always unmerited. There were so many people who had such a dread in 2016. We were going to have a a President Hillary and millions of Americans, I believe, prayed earnestly and, and God in his grace and mercy spared us. Perhaps he'll spare us again next next year, but we certainly need to pray. Frank, yeah. Thank you so much. God, God bless, bless you. Doc. Thank God, you. Appreciate it. Today's Tweet of the Day is brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice, online the way you want to at redriverauto.com and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Tweet of the day. Okay, today's tweet of the day is from a disabled veteran who goes by Travis in Flint. And he says, happening now, according to the IRS whistleblower, 
The 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump by his own Department of Justice. Whistleblower Gary Shapley says the DOJ was given stand-down orders immediately after Joe Biden won the nomination to be the candidate for the Democrat Party. Shapley says the DOJ standard rule of not investigating 60 to 90 days before an election started long before that deadline. In his testimony, he stated it was apparent that DOJ was purposely slow walking investigative actions in this matter. We all knew the 2020 election was rigged. The problem now is the GOP House isn't doing anything to stop it from happening in 2024. Well, with all due respect, um, Travis and Flint, I think uh, I think the swing states where it was stolen would have to do something about it. That's number one. But number two, since former Attorney General William Barr presided over this catastrophe, do you think Fox News is still going to have him on as if he is an impartial arbiter of objective truth? Of course they will. Do you think they'll ask him? why he didn't have his DOJ actually investigate Hunter and Joe with all the evidence he had on them? Of course they won't. Why? Well, because they took Tucker off the air. Thank you, Red River Auto, for sponsoring today's Tweet of the Day. Tweet of the Day. You've been watching episode 395 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, Simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Recorded Tuesday, June 20th, 2023.